Hey there, and welcome to the Just Keep Blogging podcast. I'm Kim Anderson from KimAndersonConsulting.com, and I'm here to give you a regular dose of blogging adrenaline. I think for some of you, this episode is going to hit really close to home. And I'm hoping that it's something that you can really take in and make changes from. Okay. So here are 10 things that most bloggers overthink. And when I say overthink, it's negative because it slows down your progress or causes you to give up. Okay. Um, so it either slows you down or makes you want to quit. Those are the two things that happen. So number one, the number one thing that most bloggers overthink is editing, in my opinion. And sometimes this is a personality thing, but I know early on, I felt like my blog editing had to be on the level of a magazine if I was going to publish it. And since then, you know, this far down the road, my objective is to put out good content. And just because I don't have an apostrophe or a comma or something in the right place doesn't make my content less valuable. Okay. And you're gonna have, you are going to always have the trolls who come along and remind you that you have spelled something wrong, right? That's their objective for the day is to go around and make sure that every article they read, they let them know what an idiot they are. And if you think that I'm over-exaggerating, I am not. I have literally had people uh, leave a comment in an article where I talk about going back like college savings or something like that because I misspelled a word said, you're an idiot. I can't believe you have a college education and misspelled this word. That's like me saying, hey, Mr. NBA player, You suck because you missed that free throw. Because you're an NBA player and you play constantly, you should hit every single shot that you ever shoot towards the goal. I mean, that's like how idiotic that is. And so I want to encourage you guys that if you are a person who gets stuck on editing uh, your articles, that you need to kind of like figure out a way to kind of back off of that. Because I know people who will literally pay friends in the beginning when they're making no money to edit their blog posts. And it's not a good use of your money um, to do that. Uh, It would be easier just to get some sort of like software that helps check it. Like I've started using Grammarly, which I love. Um, And it's not 100%. But to be honest with you, like that's not the point of the articles I create. You know, me misspelling something, me having something, you know, in there that's not quite right does not take away from the whole purpose of the article, which is to teach you how to do something or show you how to do something or give you something. Um, It's one thing if like the recipe is way off, you know, like if I tell you to use like 14 cups of baking soda or something, yeah, that's, that's, that's not good. (laughs) But, you know, it doesn't take away like commas, apostrophes, grammar, spelling, stuff like that. Like it's not that big of a deal. And most people are reading or skimming and they're not going to even notice it. And you'll have a few trolls who do, but those aren't your, those aren't your people. Who, who cares? Um, so I want to encourage you guys, don't overthink your editing. Try to just write the article, maybe take a day off, go back, edit the article, and then ship it. And last month, I did a, a challenge inside my membership community 
and said, look, guys, I'm going to challenge you to write 25 posts in one month and publish them all in one month. And that was like a big undertaking for a lot of people because they're very stuck in having a hard time just writing and hitting publish. And that was the point. The point was for me to take some of these perfectionists who are so absorbed in editing and like trying to make everything perfect. They're forced because of times, time, the time that they have to just go after it and hit publish, to just go after it and hit publish. That was the objective of that. Um, so if editing is the thing where, you know, you say, well, I can't, you know, I can't write more than one post a week because it just takes so long, then you're probably spending too much time editing at the end of the day. Um, whether that's editing as you go or editing after the fact or whatever, uh, you gotta, you gotta be able to push out content and not worry so much about every little thing being perfect. Two, the second thing that I think people overthink is creative whimsical titles over clear titles or taglines. So I think a lot of people want to be super clever all the time about like their titles or whatever, but as a blogger, um, you're looking to get clicks, obviously, but things need to be clear and there's like formulas you can use to create great titles. But I think a lot of people don't really want to use the formulas or, you know, they don't want to focus on SEO for titles and things like that. Um, or even for taglines, they just want it to be like cutesy. Um, and a lot of times people will use things that mean something to them, but don't mean anything else to anybody else in the whole world. You know, like, they're like, uh, they want their tagline to be meaningful for them. And if you're doing a hobby blog, that's fine. You know, but if you're gonna turn this into a business, your customers have to understand what you're about. And if your tagline is something super whimsical and doesn't make sense to anybody really but you, then what's, what, what's in it for them? Why do they care? That's a question that you have to ask yourself. Um, and so I think that, you know, when it comes to titles, you know, trying to be specific so that people really understand what the article is about. It's okay if you write a, a title that like might intrigue somebody to click through. Like there's nothing wrong with that to make an intriguing title um, or something that compels people to click through. But the creative ones don't really make a lot of sense to anybody but you. Those are the ones that you want to um, work on. Number three, I think most bloggers overthink website design. Uh, when I first started, my objective was basically to get a header up on my website, um, to get my picture in the sidebar and, you know, all these things and just start making content. And I think there's a lot of people who put off creating successful blogs because they're bogged down for month upon month upon month of just making a beautiful blog or trying to make it look the way they want it instead of just writing, um, and it's important that your blog gains momentum through writing content and publishing content and sharing content on social media or Pinterest. Um, and for the most part, you know, unless you have a blog that looks like it's from 2004 or something, you know, you're going to be okay. If it's basic, simple, clean, um, it's hard anymore to have really old, outdated looking websites just because of all the three, the free themes. Um, and I would much rather you spend time on content creation and cranking out content and sharing content than trying to make your website look amazing before you ever get started. Um, and I know people will spend like weeks upon weeks upon weeks, like not doing anything else, but trying to get their website to look beautiful, um, or to look a certain way. And so I just want to encourage you, like, 
kind of take a minimum viable product approach to your website because eventually you're probably going to hire a designer anyway. Like if you have the funds up front to hire a designer, just hire the designer and have them do it. If you don't, um, I, I waited until about year two to have a designer do anything with my website because I needed to prove to myself that I was going to be consistent and that I was going to take it seriously. And then when I had made enough money for my blog to be able to pay for the designer, that's when I went for it. And I was super happy because at that point, two years in, I was confident in who I was. I was confident in what I was writing about. I was confident in my logo. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was confident in what I wanted and it wouldn't be me trying to go and do like a revamp you know, six months later, because I didn't know what I was doing, basically, when I hired a designer. Um, And I hadn't been blogging long enough to really know what I was about. But I knew when I hired her what I was about. Okay, number five, I think most bloggers overthink their about me page. And I love about me pages. I think that they help people better understand who the author is behind the website and all that sort of thing. But people will spend like months on their about me page. Um, And I think there's some fairly simple formulas you can use to just generate, you know, solid about me pages, uh, you know, because they want to get it right. Um, But at the end of the day, it always comes back to, you know, is your about me page more about your reader than about you? It's, it's, It's for you to be able to establish your authority in the topic, but it needs to start with your audience. Like everything you do should start with your audience. So even your about page should be, hey, Like, I'm glad you're here. Um, You know, if you're here, you probably are looking for this, 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 and this. And like, it's making it about your audience up front and then following up with all about you, your authority, what you know, what your experience is, why you write about what you write about and anything else you're wanting to include. But comes back to what about your audience? Number six. One of the biggest things I think that slows bloggers down that they overthink is picking photos and stock photography. If it takes you hours upon hours upon hours to pick out stock photography from somewhere, just don't include it. Like it is not the end of the world. If you don't have a bunch of like stocked photography in your article, I've never had anybody send me an email in six years and complain that there weren't enough stock photos in the article that I wrote and you won't either. If that is slowing you down, don't worry about it. The most important images that you can make for your blog posts are your Pinterest image, your social share images, and your featured image on your website. Like those are the three most important images. All the rest, like you could literally write an article that didn't have any other pictures in it as long as it's not like a step-by-step tutorial. You know, if it's just a general article, You don't have to stuff it with a bunch of stock photography. You can just write the article and you can make it easy to skim, like make it skimmable, you know, by putting headers and bullet points and things that make it easy for people to read. But if pictures are slowing you down, you should probably consider getting a template that can help, like a Canva template that can help you kind of crank out your social cover images. I know Kara Fid um, does those in our community. Uh, She has templates for Canva that you can get for different social media photos. Um, If stock photography is slowing you down and trying to find like legit photography that you didn't take yourself, you know what I mean? Like just, just be okay with going without it. And I guarantee you, you're not going to get any hate mail. (laughs) Don't let that be the thing that slows down your progress. Number seven, 
I think a lot of bloggers overthink surveying their audience. So they put out these surveys, they ask their audience what they want. Their audience actually doesn't know what they want. Their audience gives them answers. They build stuff off of those answers and then their audience doesn't buy it. So I know a lot of people that have experienced this. And a lot of times it's been very confusing for me to do surveys. So at this point in my own journey, I don't do a lot of surveys anymore. Um, surveys might be something that I use in order to understand the pain points of my audience. Like I'll ask specific questions to understand what their struggle is, but I don't ask them specific questions about products because um, I really love the approach that Lena Gott takes to blogging. Um, she also talks often talks about blogging as a dictatorship in her mind where she's making the decisions because she knows her audience well enough to create things she knows they need, right? And um, maybe you think of it as the mama approach <laughs> where you really know what your audience needs and therefore you're going to find out, you know, from them what your sales copy is going to be, right? Because when you ask them questions, they're going to tell you how they feel about things and you can get better in their head. But when you decide to make some sort of product, um, for me, it's been much easier for me to just decide this is what I know they need. Like I know they need this. And now all I need to do is clearly communicate to them why they need it, why it's going to improve their life, why it's going to make, you know, their life better and, and be able to use compelling copy to help them get this valuable resource that they need. So it's fine if you want to survey your people, but I would encourage you not to get hung up on survey answers because true confessions of Kim Anderson, surveys in my early blogging career really messed me up. Like there were times when like I would do them and I would realize that my audience was, you know, had like the people who were answering the surveys were like grandmothers um, or they would be like a single mom and they would say these things. And then I would feel compelled to write content for grandmas or write content for single moms instead of staying focused on the, the like target audience or ideal audience that I knew beyond a doubt that I was, that I was aiming for or shooting for because I felt like I had to write for the audience I thought I had rather than the audience I was trying to gather. Um, and so I just want to encourage you guys that when you do audience surveys, don't get bogged down on those answers. Use survey questions to fuel um, some decisions that you make. But as far as like surveying your audience to decide like, hey, like tell me what products you want me to make. Like just that's going to be super confusing for you. Um, and a lot of people that I know have, have ended up being frustrated because they made something and then it didn't sell. Uh, and that was exactly what they told their like their audience said that they wanted, you know. So just be careful in that particular arena with surveying your audience and creating products because that can be frustrating sometimes. Um, I think a lot of times we know exactly what our audience needs. We just need to make that thing and then write compelling copy based on the information that they've given us to be able to help them decide that, yes, this is the solution to the problem that they're facing and the problem that they're dealing with. And you can ask your audience, hey, what problems are you struggling with? And those are the kinds of things that you can make sure that you address in the product that you create or the ebook that you make or the workbook that you make or the printables that you make or whatever you're going to be doing. Um, so I just want to encourage you with surveys to be careful that they don't derail your forward progress when you get information from them that you don't expect. Number eight, uh, I think that bloggers often overthink comments, emails, and responding to all of those, right? Like you get some sort of random troll who leaves an ugly comment 
and then you spiral all day long or you get an email from somebody that's not very nice or you see a comment on social media from somebody that's not great and then you worry all day about the response that you're going to give and you type one response and you delete the response and you type another response and you delete it and you never ever send it and all this kind of stuff. It can be super heavy. I've gotten to the point now where if somebody leaves something ugly in a Facebook community or on my blog or sends me an email, I just delete it because I don't have time for that. Like I don't have time for your negativity. I don't have time for your drama. I don't have time because obviously if you don't like what I said, you're not my target audience, right? So don't waste your time. Now, if there's somebody that you think is, has like a cry for help, um, I have a blogging friend named Maureen and she had this really touching story where she had an audience member send her a really ugly email and she responded to the ugly email and kindness and in hopes of helping that person um, with a positive response. And that positive response actually ended up having a significant effect on that audience member. And so I feel like there are times when you'll get email that's just worth deleting. Like the person is just mean, ugly, and um, is, is not trying to do anything productive. And then sometimes you get emails that are actually sort of like cries for help. Like it's people that are taking out their frustration and anger on you um, and your two seconds of kindness could be all that they really need to make their day better or to help them through that situation or whatever. So there are times to delete and there are times to respond, but I would encourage you to, you know, just be careful to filter, avoid burning bridges with people. Um, and if it, if it, if it's going to slow you down or significantly derail you, delete it because it's just not worth the time. It's not worth the time. Number nine. Um, I think a lot of times people really overthink their email newsletters and it keeps them from sending them. And I'm very guilty of this. In the early days, I used to really struggle because I was like, what am I going to say to these people this week? There were little things that I did to help me be more productive in that end. Um, you know, I would keep a list of stories of things that happened that I thought would be really great fuel for an email newsletter. I got to where I was kind of doing an editorial calendar um, or an editorial like idea dump for emails, like based on what holidays were coming up or, you know, what topics I think that I wanted to cover in the email that was coming up kind of based on the articles that I had written that month or whatever action I was trying to get people to take. Um, and I, so I think that uh, when it comes to email newsletters, like finding a system that works for you, finding a template that works for you and how you create your emails can be helpful. Um, I really love uh, the value emails that are shown and presented in StoryBrand by Donald Miller. Um, I think it's on page like 195 in the book where he kind of breaks down like, you know, the really simple to the point components of what makes a great email. Um to people. And, you know, if you're able to use some sort of like formulaic thing that helps you create emails every week, that can be really helpful and keep you from staying stuck. And, you know, if you have a template for yourself of how your weekly, you know, email reach out is going to look like, but I always say that your content kind of acts as your net. And the newsletter is where you can get way, way, way more personal with the people that you have brought into your inner circle. Um, so don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to send out email newsletters, uh, and don't be afraid to keep it simple and let it be two or three sentences or make it as much as like, you know, a story that you tell. 
Um, but just know the point of what you're doing with that email newsletter. What action do you want people to take? And that's the bottom line. Do you want them to click through to content that you've written? Do you want them to buy an affiliate? Like, what is it that you're wanting them to do? And last, number 10, the last thing I really believe bloggers overthink is opt-ins and products. <clears throat> A lot of times people will say, so I'm making an opt-in and my opt-in's 28 pages. Well, that's just a lot for an opt-in. It might be time to turn that baby into a product. Like if you've put that much effort into it, that's probably no longer a free thing. That should be something people pay for. Uh, so when you're creating opt-ins, you know, remember um, opt-ins are simple quick wins. Whether it's like a one-page checklist you know, it could be a three page printable, whatever. But I think once you get past like five pages with an opt-in, you need to start thinking about whether or not this thing is turning into a product. And if it is turning into a product, go back to the drawing board and figure out, well, if this is going to be the product, what's going to be the free thing that I give away that is connected to this item that I'm building, right? Like, so that when people opt in, especially if you're going to turn that product into like a tripwire that we talk about where somebody opts in, and they're redirected to a landing page that gives them an opportunity to buy this product at a discounted price. If that's what you're going to create, you want the opt-in to be related to the tripwire because if they're opting into that free item, then you know that there's an interest, a need, or a problem solved by that. And therefore, that audience is warmed up to potentially buy this thing that's related to the opt-in. So... When you're thinking about your products and stuff, I think some people just kind of sit and stare at this piece of paper and they're like, well, what could I make that my people would want? I think that if you start smart with an opt-in, it makes it much easier to figure out what's the next thing up or start with a product you're really confident about creating and decide what could you pull out of that or from it to create a simple win opt-in for people. Um, so you don't have to overthink these things. Here are the top 10 things that I have covered today. Number one, people overthink editing. They overthink creative and whimsical titles over clear titles. They overthink their website design. They overthink website organization, which I think I even didn't go deep into, but you know, they spend months trying to figure out their menus and what their categories are and all this kind of stuff. And I encourage you guys to start writing and decide like as you go, like what kind of things you're going to be writing about and create those categories as you go. Um, doesn't need to be something that you have to decide on day one necessarily uh, because that's something that develops over time. I've changed my website organization. I can't even tell you how many times. So, you know, it's just being flexible and not obsessing over it because honestly, it's going to probably change a million times because um, you're going to figure out new ways to organize it or think about it in a different way or make it easier to find or easier to organize or whatever. Number five is about me pages. Number six, picking photos and stock photography slows people down. Seven, surveying their audience can be a huge speed bump when they don't get the responses they expect. Um... Number eight, comments and emails and responding to those things can be really slow. That's why even with emails, it's important to develop um, canned responses. So if you're using Gmail, for example, there's a, the ability to create canned responses. So if you're getting the same inquiries over and over, you can just click, you know, reply, grab the canned response and send it off. Um, Number nine, email newsletters. People just have a real hard time sometimes just getting started or thinking of what to write about. Um, so try not to overthink those things. Like just let it all flow. Just 
take action, know the point of the email, what are you wanting people to do at the end of the email? Do you want them to click through to your content, buy something, visit somewhere else, or what action do you want them to take? And know that from the first part of what you're doing. Um, and 10 opt-ins and products, just that is one other area that people really tend to overthink. I want to encourage you guys uh, to go check out um, my planner that I have created. It's the ultimate blog planner and it will help with, I think, a lot of these things that I think slow people down because this planner is not just a, okay, here's my monthly content, here's my income. This is like legit planning emails, planning blog posts, planning keywords, planning Pinterest keywords. Like there are so many components of this planner that I've created and I'd really love for you to be able to get it um, this year and start using it. It's broken down to where you can print it in 12 week segments. If you want, you can print it in six months, you can print it in a year, however you want it to be broken down, but it's legitimately made for you to plan a blog, not just plan time. Um, it's planning, it's strategy, it's, keeping your ideas all in one place. And so I would love for you to check that out. Just visit KimAndersonConsulting.com and on the front page, you'll find a place that shows you the planner and how you can get your hands on that. So hope you guys have a great day and whatever you do, just keep blogging.